0: started with some worship the light the skies are wide crashing down and bring the world to light hope came lost its rule to the king of grace. And all its shame.
1: to show.
2: Store Every heart that is broken Where are you, Lord? Is your breath in our lungs. So we pour our praise We pour our praise It's your breath our lives. so yeah. we
1: Do one
0: Thank you that you are the one thing that we need. We pray that we would just focus on that today, Father. That you are everything we need, despite every struggle that we have. You are our joy, our life, you are salvation, you are hope, Father. We just pray that you would make us more aware of your presence, that um, we would come to know you more today, Father. We pray that you would just bless this time, Um, bless Father as He speaks the word in Jesus' name. Um, Thank you. We can go ahead and take a seat. We'll take a break. We'll be right back.
3: All right. Welcome back. We'll ask people to have a seat. We're going to do something that we haven't done in months and months and months, and I'm so excited. If this is your first time or you've never done this before, we'd like you to fill out one of these cards. They're in the seat back of the chair in front of you, and there should be a pen next to it. And if you fill this out and you leave it in the little offering plate at the back or you hand it to me as you leave, I guarantee you within the next two weeks, you will get a huge prize in your mailbox. It will be a gift card. And you know gift cards can be very, put it down, can be very valuable. It's going to be five bucks to Canvas Coffee probably or maybe Starbucks. One of those two. And uh, so just a little encouragement, again, I want to warn, uh, just uh, remind all our returning CNU students, all the students that are returning, welcome back, we're glad to have you, it's thrilled. we're thrilled to have you here, but also another reminder, if you try to fill out one of those cards and put it in, and you did it last year, we keep track, don't try to sucker us out of five bucks, <laughs> right, okay, <laughs> we're on top of that one. Um, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. When my wife is at home watching, and so when my wife is not here, I get a little goofier, and it just doesn't work out well for me. A couple of things that we're looking at doing in the near future at First Church as we grapple with COVID-19 and how does church work, and what does it look like and that is we want to start being able to do things where where we have uh, outreach into the community or we have outreach even amongst ourselves. So one of the things in the next couple of weeks that's going to happen is we're going to put up one or two little prayer boxes. There'll be three by five cards. You can write out a prayer request and drop it in that box. If you want to do it anonymously, if it's something that's very, you know, you, you really don't want to uh, be careful with. You want to be careful with. You don't have to put your name. You can just do it anonymously. If you want to, you can sign your name. And then what we we'll do is we'll have people who, who have uh, expressed this desire to be in prayer for people in our congregation or for things going dealing in our congregation. And so we'll take that card and then we'll get that message out to a number of people. And and in the next couple of weeks, they'll be praying for you, uh, for many of them praying for you on a daily basis. And so we're feeling like uh, one of the things is, is that we need to emphasize prayer more in our congregation, and this is one way to do it. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. And if you're feeling like, hey, I would love to be a prayer, I don't know what else to call it, but a prayer warrior, or something like that. Yeah, I would love to be one of those people that pray. You can let us know. Go to our website, send, a, send an email in. We'll sign you up, we'll, and then once everything gets rolling, you'll start receiving prayer requests to be in prayer for. Uh, the only thing that we do is we ask you to take it seriously not just that you pray once a week for something. If it's something that's important to someone, we would ask—not necessarily—it doesn't have to be every day, but we would really like you to be regular in prayer for them. The next thing we would like to do, and this is just beginning, so we're kind of trying to figure out how we can do this, is that we understand with uh, the way the situation is in our uh, in our in our schools and how difficult it is for parents, how difficult it is for students, how difficult it is for teachers. We want to uh, start uh, laying the groundwork to be able to offer tutoring for students. Uh, for kids here. And we're going to start small and then see as it it, it grows and expands, we we will expand it. But we would love to begin to offer tutoring for students who are really struggling with distance learning, with struggling with, you know, online learning, because I know that can be so difficult. And uh, so mainly uh, elementary, middle school, even high schoolers, that's what we're going to be shooting for. And uh, if you think you could help with tutoring, we'd love to know about it. And uh, if you think you know someone who needs to be tutored, we'd love to know about it. And then we'll begin to try to get this together and get it going uh, once uh, school starts. All right. I think that's it. Announcements. Oh, it just feels good to do announcements. We haven't done announcements in forever. Um, We just finished up the book of Hosea. And now for the next uh, few weeks or so, what I would like to do is do some things that I feel like are just important for us to remind ourselves of. Key things about our walk with Christ uh, our life in Christ, how it looks, how it works out in our lives. And so we're going to be doing that. And today what I want to do is I'm, I, I, I call this living the kingdom. That is living, living out this kingdom because Jesus said the kingdom is now available. It's possible for people, ordinary people, people like you and me, to live in God's power, to live in God's presence right here, right now, all right? He, he, he didn't say, you know, when he taught the disciples to pray, he didn't say, well, pray this, God, get me out of here so I can go up there. He, said, he didn't say to pray that. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. So it's come down, not go up. It's come down. And God wants to, get, to, be, a, uh, to be a part of our lives, to change us from the inside out so that we usher in his kingdom on this earth. We bring in, in a sense, if you could think about it, as little pockets of people who are loving, who are forgiving, who are gracious, who are working to right wrongs, to do justice, to see that spread on this earth. And and he says that's what it is. That's the kingdom. When God's will is done, that is the kingdom. So we know after his death, after his resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit and this new community was born. And now we tend to talk about the early church and oftentimes we can glamorize the early church like the early church was just this incredible group of people, just perfect, and it wasn't. They had a lot of problems. They had a lot of things they had to deal with. But they took it seriously. They took the message of Jesus Christ seriously. And they followed him. And they devoted themselves to him. And they began to experience... Personal transformation, transformation from the inside out. They began to see up there, coming down here, in in their gatherings, and then in their communities, and then worldwide. And we want this. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about what does that kingdom look like? Okay? What can we do to, to begin to live this out in our lives? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a very unusual encounter that Jesus had, with someone in, in the uh, Gospels in Matthew chapter 15. So I'm going to read it. It's not going uh, to be on your screens. If you got your Bible, you've got your Bible, you can go to Matthew 15 on your, on your phone or whatever. But I'm going to read Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, moment of truth right now. Let's be honest. How many of you think Jesus was kind of rude in this situation? Doesn't it seem like did Jesus get up on the wrong side of the bed that morning? I mean, it was like he comes back at her, like saying, like, I even hate saying it, like saying, you're just a dog. You read that, and it it makes me feel uncomfortable. It, It seems terrible. It's a story that's hard to understand. This is one of the things I like about studying the Bible. One of the things I love to do sometimes is attack. Attack, is that a good word? I'm not sure. Attack the stories that are really difficult to understand. Because oftentimes what i found, and what we'll be able to see here, is underneath our first impressions is an unbelievable story of faith and grit and wit and attitude. And interestingly here, Jesus does not at at any point, I mean, He he lets this unfold. He brings it out. It's very kind of cool how this happens. Now, I'm indebted to a guy named uh, Ken Bailey. He's a great New Testament scholar and he is a master teacher, and he talks about that. He talks about how with a master teacher, a master teacher understands that lecture alone is not enough to transform life. People need to experience truth. Truth needs to be, it's not enough, it's not enough for me to stand up here and speak what, as far as I know, as honestly as I can. I speak the truth to people but it's not just enough for me to speak it. It has to be taken in. It has to be experienced. It has to be worked out in lives. In other words, this is a two-way street, and I am in no way claiming that I'm a master teacher, but I'm telling you, I understand that when I teach and when you listen and people at home listening, there's more to it than just that. You have to take it in. It has to become a part of your life. It has to be worked out in, in your daily life. And a master teacher understands this. People need to experience truth. They, people need to be forced to think and realize implications. And Bailey says a master teacher is able to teach simultaneously at more than one level, at more than one group at the same time. Right? And so that's what's going on here. I mean, from from a teaching standpoint, as I study this passage, just as a teacher, I'm in awe of what Jesus did here. It's amazing when you begin to understand what what Jesus did here. Um, And so we have to understand here, when Jesus is teaching, kind of as we first start diving into this, He's talking to two different groups of people simultaneously. The woman and the disciples. And He's pushing them. He's testing them. Now, We have to understand there's Eastern version idea of what a test is, and there's a Western version of what a test is. We are from the West. We have the Western version of a test. The Western version of a test is, you know, you go through, you answer the right answers, you get a grade, and then it's done. You move on. You get a good grade, you get a bad grade. Whatever. The Eastern version of a test is, is, is significantly different, and this will totally change the way you look at the Exodus. If you start thinking about this way, the Eastern way is, is the idea that if you get it right, great. If you don't get it right, if you blow it on the test, that's okay. Learn from that mistake and continue on and, and, and make sure that you and take it in and learn from it. And I think that can be partly, hope, we're hoping for that even as Westerners. But in the Eastern idea, there's, it's very much that. It's not pass-fail. They don't, they, don't, they don't look at that that way. They look at it like, you got it right, great. Okay, you didn't get it right, but that's okay. Learn from it. Put it in your brain. Work it out in your life. Learn from it. It's not a pass-fail kind of a thing. And so Ken Bailey is saying, this is, a, this is an Eastern test. It's a teaching time. It's not just a conversation that Jesus is having. He's saying things that are calculated to bring out responses and push people to think and so that they'll grow. And he teaches two different people at once. Now, we do that too. Right? For years, uh, I, 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 uh, I love soccer. I played it in college and, uh, and after college and then uh, got into coaching and uh, learned, you know, a lot of things that you learn as a coach. One time with the team that I was coaching, we were in a very difficult game uh, over in the Virginia Beach area. Uh, playing another club and, and um, um, the, the referee had come up to us before the game and kind of he kind of which you just don't do as a referee he kind of admitted that he was sort of new at it he was just kind of getting the hang of it so all of a sudden about 10 minutes into the game I realized man there have been 2,000 my players that he's not calling and I don't think he even recognizes that those are fouls. I'm not sure if he grasps the concept that those are fouls. And so my players are starting to get frustrated. They're starting to get angry. And what, the worst thing you can have as a coach is if a player starts lashing out, you're, you know there's going to be red cards pretty soon. You're going to lose players and you're going to lose the game. So, so this, our player uh, was tackled by this guy and he was like, come on to the ref, you know, and the ref just waved him off and started running off. And I yelled to the player, but I made sure I yelled it really loud. I yelled to my player, I said, you have to keep playing even when you're fouled. He's not going to call that foul. So I was talking to two people at the same time, right? I'm talking to my player, but I just told the referee, that was a foul. You don't recognize it. And interestingly, he looked at me and said, hey, coach, shut up. And I said, I'm just talking to my player, right? But I'm talking to two people at the same time. Right? And this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's doing this masterful job of talking to two people at the same time. So, in this passage, we're told they went to Tyre and Sidon. Jesus withdrew to Tyre and Sidon. Let me just give you a little map so you see. If you see when you, at the top of that map, when it starts to turn orange, it's Phoenicia. Phoenicia and there's Tyre, and right above it is si- Sidon. Okay, So it's a different country. The Phoenicians were known... For um, some of the things they were known for was how brutal their 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 worship systems were. Um, they they oftentimes involved child sacrifice and different things like that. And so the Phoenicians were considered the worst kind of people. And Tyre and Sidon were considered two of the worst cities in the worst kind of people's country. They were. Uh, Josephus tells us that the people of Tyre were the bitterest enemies of the Jews. Um, and for a number of things that they had done in the past. And so the motto in Tyre and Sidon kind of like is whatever happens in Tyre and Sidon stays in Tyre and Sidon, right? It was a place where immorality abounded, and they were very immoral people. And so we have to understand the point of this is that this woman who comes and speaks is regarded by the disciples as a member of the most spiritually degraded people that they could think of, or at least close to it. So understand that there's this bitter mindset towards those people. They've done some evil things to Israel in the not very distant past, right? And so for the Jews, they hate them. And so the idea is Jesus is withdrawing. It's like he's getting away from the crowds. He's going to go to Tyre and Sidon because who wants to talk to Jesus in Tyre and Sidon, right? Nobody does. They don't know who he is. and They don't care who he is. All right, so the first thing we look at, verse 21, 22, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, very interestingly here, she uses the title Lord, which is a title of humility and submission. She says, son of David. She seems to understand something about Jesus and something about Judaism, and she's kind of saying, you're the Messiah. Now, is she trying to ingratiate herself with Him to get something out of Him? Or is she just humbly recognizing it? Not sure. I tend to think maybe she's just humbly recognizing it. And she's recognizing my only chance is walking right there, it's Jesus. He's the only chance I have. And so what happens? In verse 23, the first part, Jesus did not answer a word. All right? This this woman uses the cry of a beggar. She says, Lord, she says, I'm humbling. This woman's daughter is suffering terribly. Now feel this. You have to feel this. You have to be able to think of a time when there was somebody you really loved dearly and something happened to them that was terrible and it broke your heart. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things before you're a parent, it's harder, it's harder to imagine, but you can think of that. But as parents, all you think of is your kid. Oh, if you've ever had one of, Oh man, <laughs> if you've ever had one of your kids and you hand that kid off to a, to a nurse and that kid goes away to surgery. And one time with our youngest son and he looked at me and he just looked at me like, why are you giving me to this woman? She walks away and he's looking over her shoulder and I was like, man, I wish I had a picture of that. That would crush me from now on. That look he was giving me of, what the heck, right? And my heart broke. My heart broke for my kid. And, I, and, and it wasn't even something that was terrible. And so her daughter is suffering terribly. You have to feel it. And Jesus acts like he didn't even hear her. He just blows her off. And you notice something. I love this. Matthew doesn't even try to hide this. He doesn't try to cover it over. He just lays it out there for us. He's deliberately drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus didn't even answer her. And that tells us something's going on here. Because that's totally out of character for Jesus. I mean, when we read this passage and you come away feeling like, wow, Jesus, you're really being rough on this woman. That's so out of character for you. Exactly. So that tells us something is going on here. We don't know what it is. Matthew wants the the readers to struggle. He wants us to struggle with this. And he's doing it on purpose. And so now this woman has a decision. How deeply do I want healing for my daughter? How much am I willing to humble myself to this man? So now we're coming up on part one of Jesus' teaching, because he leaves her for a second. He looks at the disciples. What does he say? So his disciples came to, uh, uh, Wait, he looked. Yeah, he looks at his disciples. He's giving them a lesson. I should say this before they say what they're going to say. One of the things is, because the way they consider these people, the disciples think that Jesus not speaking to her is exactly the right thing to do. Understand that when Jesus didn't answer a word, they're totally on board with this because she's a Phoenician and she's from Tyre and Sidon. And it's, I mean, this is the way it was back then, all right? So don't hate the messenger. She's a woman. You don't talk to women. Godly Jews don't talk to women. In fact, this is something in in, in the Talmud. He that talks with womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at the last will inherit Gehenna, hell. They believe that, especially rabbis. You don't talk to women. So Jesus not answering her seems perfectly natural for them. That's what they grew up with. Don't talk to women. You don't talk to immoral people. She's both. It's a double, right? So Jesus ignores this woman. He watches the disciples to see what they do. Do they get it? Do they understand what he's about? And they are, they're going to say in verse 23 something they're quite confident that he's on board with. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Which, which you know, is a little grandiose, don't you think? She's calling out to Jesus and they're going, she's bugging us. Like she's calling out to them, and she's not calling out to them. There may be a little tick that she just kind of bypassed them in this whole thing because she's not asking for them, but they include themselves. She's bothering us. We came up here to get away from everything, to have a little relaxation, a little retreat we can go to the beach and swim, You know, maybe a little surfing. We're going to take it easy, get some sun. It's going to be fun. We don't want people. That's why we came up here. And she's bothering us. And they, and they consider some, themselves the expert on who Jesus does and does not want to talk to, right? Remember when it was the children and they rebuked them for coming and Jesus said, you guys, you're idiots. This is the kingdom of heaven right here, these young children, right? And so Matthew here, he gives us verse 24, and it's a little ambiguous because we're not exactly sure who he's talking to or is he talking to both of them? He answered, "I was only, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus says this because he's already established in the book of Matthew and the earlier parts of the other Gospels that he's out to get the Gentiles too. He's out for the Gentiles also. He's already said that. He's already earlier in Matthew chapter 8, talking to a Centurion. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished at those and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying? He says to his disciples, the greatest faith I've seen so far is this this Gentile, this Roman centurion, this person that you hate. You really hate the Romans. What incredible faith this guy has. And I'm going to bring people from the east and from the west as we were looking at the book of Hosea, that phrase, east and bringing from the east and the west, that phrase came up in Hosea also. It comes up a number of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's this technical term for how God is going to draw people from all over, outside of the nation of Israel, draw people into His kingdom. So Jesus has established that. They haven't got it. They haven't got it. But Jesus says... He says, so well, he says, I was brought for the I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Remember, we're in a test. Remember, people are being pushed out of their comfort zones. All right. I don't know anyone here who for recreation takes tests. Right? It's not the fun thing that you do. It's a hard thing. But oftentimes everyone probably would admit, or at least most of us, the ones who won't are wrong. It's during the testing times. It's during the difficult times where we really grow oftentimes. We really grow in them. So what is Jesus doing? He's pushing them out of their comfort zone, just like what happens to us when God wants us to grow sometimes. We have to get pushed out of our comfort zone. We tend to want to get into our comfort zone and just be comfortable. And God says, no, I want to push you into the places where you feel uncomfortable because that's where you grow. I want to push you to the people that you feel uncomfortable around because that causes you to grow. That tests how much you really are. Are you willing to follow me even with the people that are uncomfortable in your life? And Jesus knows this, so he's pushing them here. He's taught this before. He knows they need remedial help. They've already established that. He's already established what group they're in. I mentioned this before when I was in the first grade. We were put into reading groups. You know, The teacher, and I understand, you can't have like the smart ones, the mediocre ones, and the really dumb ones. You can't label groups by that. It hurts all those children's poor little egos, right? So what do we do? We say, oh, we have three reading groups, the cardinals, the robins, and the bluebirds. Right? And it it doesn't take anyone in that whole room to figure out within about 10 seconds, which is which. Because you look and you go, those guys all read really good. They're all the cardinals. Smart group. Right? And then uh, those guys are better than me. They read pretty good. Robins, I struggle with reading. Bluebird. Right? You just know it. You know what group you're in. Okay, we got a bunch of bluebirds here in Jesus' group. This is what they are. And the master teacher is trying to push them. So he appears to agree with, ah, yes, yes, I was sent only to the tribe of Israel. And they're like, you should send him away. But notice here's the thing, he doesn't send her away. See, it's very, it's very interesting how Matthew keeps making us think through, what does Jesus say and what does he do in this passage? Because they want to think we're God's favorites, we're on the inside, we have no room for Gentiles, especially female Gentiles. They're second rate, they're riffraff. Send her away, we're supposed to be on vacation. Send her away, we're supposed to be on vacation. One time, uh, we went to the beach. My family—we love to go to the beach. For years and years, we go to the beach. And, and uh, so, one time, we had stopped at a place—a uh, little pizza place—to get some pizza. You know, and there was a guy outside, and he was asking for money. And so, I went and I talked to him, and I said, "You know, I'll, I'll get you something to eat. You want something to eat?" And He go, "Yeah, I would really like something to eat." So I got him something to eat. You know, pizza. I got the pizza to my family, and I went out, and I was giving him some pizza. And, uh, and we got talking. And so we just talked. I, I got to share some about the Lord with him and, and talk to him about Jesus and, and where he stands with Jesus. And I came back in. And one of my kids was like, Dad, we're almost done. You spent so much time talking to that guy. And, and I just said, Honey, I, I can't, I have to talk to him. I had to talk to him. Ah, oh, Dad, I know it's your job, but we're on vacation. And I'm like, No, there's no vacation from following Jesus, that doesn't ever stop. That's all the time. It just has to be that way. And so Jesus, you know, the master teachers at work, he's watching his disciples. He's seeing how they will. How are they going to respond? Are they going to get it? And he says, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. And I'm sure they were like, "Yup, that's right. Show her the door. Show her the door, Jesus. Right? But he doesn't do that. Simultaneously, she's in the middle of this test. She's hearing all this she sees them she knows exactly what's going on she sees them like yep show her the door she knows exactly what's going on but she also is noticing he didn't show her the door and so when he's talking to her she's thinking this through where will she go she has no one to turn to what is she going to do now and i love this the woman came she came closer now, there's distance issues here. You're not supposed to get too close. She comes closer. And she knelt before him, and she just said, Lord, help me. So now, you know, can you, I mean, if you think, feel it, the tension is really building. Because he's pushed her. He's pushed them, right? And there's this, these two viewpoints that are grappling, and the tension is really building here. And she humbles herself, she kneels, she she gets down, and she's like, I got nothing, I got nothing, man. Without you, I got nothing. And kneeling implies that in 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 a very strong way. And she just says, please help, just help me. Now, for the disciples, this is probably getting a little bit uncomfortable because their belief system says you shun this woman, you reject this woman, you ignore this woman, you send her away. And, and, and they would think that Jesus would be th- thinking the same thing. But to have her right here on her knees begging for help, it, it creates a difficult, uncomfortable scene. And Jesus immediately says something to her. He doesn't send her away. He immediately says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, this is a statement that is very well known in that day. It's a common truism. It's, um, it's like... If somebody says a broken clock is right two times a day. Like if you're playing a game with someone and you answer part of it right, they're like, broken clock's right two times a day. What is it? It's a truism, but it's a slam at the same time, right? It's a truism, but somewhat of a put down at the same time. So this phrase would be very commonly used for all kinds of things. Establishing priorities, maybe priorities in a family or priorities... Uh, in a nation, or, or, or like if, uh, if you were a worker, I'm trying to think how to say, if you were a worker in a field and you're harvesting grain and somebody came up to you and said, will you please give me some of the grain? It would be very common for them to use a phrase like this. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And it's a way of saying, you didn't help me harvest this grain. You haven't done anything. I'm not giving you anything for free. I'm not giving it to you because you don't deserve it. See, there's the key. It's a truism. You don't get anything because you don't deserve it. So Jesus uses this. This isn't just used uh, concerning Jews. It was used concerning all kinds of things. But there's something very interesting that's going on here. Because he's making it plain, the children are the Jews and the dogs are the Gentiles. And Dogs are scavengers. Dogs run in packs. People didn't keep dogs as pets. And so he's saying to them, he's talking to to her and he's talking to his disciples at the same time. You want me to get rid of this woman? You want me to limit my ministry only to Israel? You want me to just keep it us versus them? That's okay? Just look at her though. Look at her. Listen to her daughter scream. See her agony. She's kneeling. She's begging. Right? He gives voice to their beliefs with this truism. But He doesn't do what they want Him to do. And Matthew wants us to wrestle with this. Because it's one thing to have contempt for someone when they're not in front of you. It's much different to, act, to have contempt and act that way to someone who's right in front of you. It's a whole different thing. It's easy to slam them, but He's waiting. Will anybody say anything? What about this woman? What are they going to say? And they don't say a thing. And then he does something. In that phrase, he does something deliberately to, to make her know that he is interested in what she's saying. Because what he does is, he doesn't use the regular word for dog. He uses a diminutive word. That is like a little doggy or a dogette. That's not even a word, but I just made it up. He uses the word for this. Um, oh, yeah. Take it away. Okay. You only get a little of it. <laughs> he uses the word for a puppy or a little dog. He see what he does. He softens it. And that's a clue right there to her. Come on. Let's keep talking. Bring it on. Keep talking. Right. It's a he's saying he's inviting her to respond because he deliberately made it much less insulting with the within the greek and what he said so now here's the deal what is she going to do it seems like he's giving her a little bit of let's keep this going it's almost like jesus i don't think she recognizes it but jesus is going i need to teach these guys keep it coming keep it coming and so he uses that diminutive word and so she says yes lord but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table, right? And she does something very interesting here. She keeps the diminutive word for dog, and then the word for crumbs, she adds the diminutive ending on that. So it's almost like she's saying, yes, Lord, but even the little dogettes get the little crummets that fall from the table. She, it's like a play on words. It's, it's, it's a little bit witty, Right? She says that, she comes right back at him, and it's full of grace. It's full of grit and wit, and it's a little bit of attitude. It's it's like, I'm going to make a joke right now. But it's her telling him, I see what you're saying. Keep it coming. I understand. So I'm keeping it coming. So she's not giving up. And the disciples are watching this. And her answer must have been very striking to them because she spoke with such confidence to Jesus. It's like she's teaching Jesus at this moment. And they're like, what? We don't even do that. I mean, occasionally we did. Peter did. He said, Lord, may this never be. And then Jesus called me the devil, right? So he knew, don't do that anymore. Don't correct Jesus, right? And so what's happening here is she's like, she's like coming right back at Jesus, and they're like, what in the world is going on? Because they're sure, and, and this is hard for us to understand, but we have to be, they're sure that she is their inferior. They are positive that she is inferior. She's their spiritual inferior. She, she's their moral inferior. She's their inferior in every respect. And, and you know how the human mind thinks. They're going to say, she's... And, and, and for, for many of the Jews, they believe just because they were male and she was a female, she's their inferior. And she's got a kid. She's probably not even married. She's our inferior. They're sure she's her, their inferior. They're positive of that. And yet, it's turning out she's their master in every respect. She's relating to Jesus on a level of understanding and humility and trust and boldness that's putting them to shame. And so they're now all they can do is they're looking at Jesus. Everybody who's there is looking at Jesus because she's come right back in such a way. Verse 28, Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Okay. Um, some, if you have some versions, that it'll say, Oh, woman. And the reason they say, oh, woman, because there is a a single letter of exclamation right before the word woman in the Greek. Jesus is saying, wow, you've got it going on, right? He's he's just like, that's an exclamation. And, And it's an exclamation that is used in classical Greek and in the Bible for expressing admiration for a person. How about that? They're inferior, and Jesus is going, I'm in awe of you.
0: I'm in awe of you.
3: I respect and admire you, woman. So he totally affirms her. He totally affirms her. So we've had this little, this, this little, in a sense, this test, this play almost, where it's gone back and forth and back and forth between Jesus and her and between Jesus and the disciples. And he'll say something and he'll kind of say, what are the disciples going to say? He'll say something and he'll be saying, even in the way he says it to that woman, keep it coming, keep it coming, keep it coming. Don't quit, don't quit. Give it to me. I'll take it, give it to me. She's like, okay, you, I'll give it to you. Right? And so she answers right back with a smart, almost a smart aleck. It's not, but almost that way. And Jesus is like, yes, this is what I wanted. This is what I wanted. And then he basically says, this woman, this woman, you, 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 you think she's your inferior morally, spiritually, sexually, in every way. You think she's your your inferior. I admire her. I admire her. I'm impressed she blew me away what an incredible thing he broke he's breaking every preconceived notion they have he's ripping it to shreds and they thought they were the top of the ladder and they found out they're the bluebirds how about that and they found out she's the eagle right she's the top And this is what I love as we move on from this story. Jesus doesn't say, I'm sick of you guys not getting it. You're fired, all of you. He doesn't say that. And you know what? If he did that, I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't blame him a bit. They kept blowing it, they kept telling the little kids to move away from Jesus. And Jesus, is like, what are you kidding? This is my heart here. I love these kids. They tell this woman, get out of here. Get get her out of here, Jesus. He's like, what are you talking about? I admire her. She's an inspiration to me. What God can do in a person's life. And he keeps working with them. And many years later, after his death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, they get it. Peter starts to get it. Peter's praying and, and, and God speaks to him about going to the the, the home of a Roman soldier, a Gentile named Cornelius. This is something God's, God's like, let's revisit some of, these, some of these ones you didn't do so hot on, right? And God finally breaks through his hardness of heart and all the junk that tends to block us up. And Peter says, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what's right, he accepts people from every nation, east and west, who accept him. Peter's like, I'm getting it. I'm slow, I'm a bluebird, but I'm getting it. You know, I'll move up to the robin soon. You know, he's getting it. He's seeing that up there is coming down here. And Peter, I'm sure, can remember that time where Jesus stood before that woman, and Peter's like, I'm seeing it now. I can see what he's doing. And then the church gets born in Acts chapter 2, and it's the world's never seen anything like it. It's, the world has never been the same since the day of the resurrection. It's changed everything. And a kingdom of love, a community of love, that transcends differences, transcends barriers, transcends hurts. So that Paul writes in, in, in the book of Colossians chapter three, he says, "There is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all." And Paul, wrapping up everything he can, they, they could can think of, Jew or Greek, that, that is a racial distinction to Jews. He says the racial distinctions are gone in Jesus Christ. Circumcised or uncircumcised, that's a religious distinction. And he's saying the religious distinctions are gone in Jesus Christ. Barbarian, Scythian, that's cultural. Now, Scythian's kind of an odd word, because there's not many of us know any Scythians personally. We know some barbarians, right, but we don't know any Scythians per- personally, and there's not a lot of them left. But in Paul's day, Scythians were a big deal. Um, in Colossi, where the book of Colossians was written, it's in Asia Minor, and the Scythians were a tribal people who lived up near the Black Sea. Um, they were famous horsemen and and, uh, and archers, but they were also famous for the fact that they were incredibly barbaric. They, they were known for their filthy habits. They were known... For the fact that they they worshipped a sword, a a sword, and they were incredibly violent and intimidating. Um, This is kind of yucky, but this is what they when they got into battle. Each Scythian, the first man you killed, you grabbed a part of his body and you drank his blood right there on the battlefield. And they would go into what they called their blood rage. Now, think how intimidating that is if you're a soldier on the other side you're like these guys are nuts they don't even care i don't want someone drinking my blood i don't want that to happen to me i'm going you know it's just that's that's they 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 were very intimidating because they were so terrible in a dark and violent world this is what the world was at that time they were considered just off the chain over the edge they were the worst of the worst So you think about this. Think about the impact of what Paul is saying. He's saying there is a place for Scythians in Christ. That's unimaginable. There's a place for ISIS in Christ. We should be trying to reach them, not hate them. That's what Paul's saying here. This is what he's saying. This This goes against everything. And finally, social. There's not, there's not slave or free. There's no difference in the kingdom. And Paul's saying, look around you. There's Scythians here. Isn't that great? There's Jewish people sitting next to uncircumcised people. Isn't that great? There's Greeks and there's barbarians and Jews. They love each other in the same group. There's rich and there's poor. There's slave and there's free, male and female. It doesn't matter. So how about here? How are we doing? Let's make it personal. How are you doing? How am I doing? As we deal with people, as we try to live out the kingdom. I was driving this, this week, and uh, there was an accident on the interstate, and so it was narrowing down to one lane. And I don't know. I know a lot of you think that. I don't know why driving comes up in my life so much. I, uh, it's because I have a deep psychological issue. And it's something we all relate to, right? And so everybody's merging, right? Everybody's merging, emerging. And, and so this guy comes. I, I let like two. I let at least two people in in front of me, so I feel like I was being a really good Christian. And uh, so this guy pulls up to me. You know, we're coming up on where it narrows down, and he gets he gets right up next to me. And so, you know, I'm a pastor, so I nudged up closer to the person in front of me, so there was just no room for him, and. um I'm thinking, I let in two, dude. Duty done. Get behind me. Right? And so he's kind of, and I can tell he's looking at me. And you know, when somebody wants to merge or something like that, the one thing you don't do is you don't make eye contact. Because now you've established there's a human being next to you, and you don't want to. You want to just think it's a car. Right? And so so I'm edging up, he's edging up, and I'm like, he doesn't understand. If I let him in front of me, that's going to be like four or five seconds off more time on my trip as I go to the church to study this passage about loving people. I, I I don't have time for Him, right? I don't have time for Him. And so I'm thinking, you know, it's like, stay out of my lane. Stay out of my life. Stay out of my country. Stay out of my church. Stay out of my clique. Stay out of my group. Stay out of my face. Stay out of my wallet. Stay out of my heart. Get out. Send her away. And that's the disciples, right? That's what the disciples, Jesus, she's trying to get in our lane. Don't look her in the eye. She's not one of us. And Jesus kept letting the strangest people get in his lane. He kept looking the strangest people right in the eye and saying, okay, yeah, come on. You first. You first. And he's telling us, here, there's this kingdom, and it's, our, it's my lane. It's called the kingdom of God, and just let people in. And Acts 2 show, church shows up, and they let the strangest people into their lane. Just come on in. The world's never seen anything like it. We try to express that in a little motto we have. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything is possible. When God is involved, Anything's possible. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. We're all equal at the, at the foot of the cross. And anything is possible. And Just letting people in. Not just here at church. Everywhere. Everywhere. We need to decide not to be people who exclude. Because we do this. We choose all the time. Let them in, shut them out. We do that all the time. We do that with people. When you're busy, you know, when somebody comes up to talk to you, and I know I struggle with this too. Somebody comes. I'm busy. I'm doing something. Somebody comes up, talk to me, and and I, and I I can subtly tell them I don't want to talk to you. How do you subtly tell somebody you don't want to talk to? You do this. They're standing right there, and you keep your shoulders to them. You're like, Oh, really? Yeah. Oh no, that, that's very cool. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. That's pretty interesting. And you just keep those shoulders turned, and you edge away, right? And then, what do you? What does Jesus do? Jesus is busy. And a woman comes up. What does he do? He squares up to her. He says, look, let's talk face-to-face, person-to-person. But it'll happen. We can be subtle with our body language, with our tone of voice. Who do I spend time with? Who do I not spend my time with? Who do I spend my money on? Who do I not spend my money on? Who do I look in the eye? Who do I not look in the eye? And it'll happen at work, it'll happen at school, it'll happen when you go to the store, it'll happen sometimes in your home. It can happen in a church. The kingdom will come or it will not come, right here, right now, whatever your situation is, whoever you're dealing with, are you helping the kingdom of God to come and grow, or are you shutting it out and sending it away? And this is not about being a little extra patient to a cranky person. A cranky neighbor or a cranky person in your dorm or a cranky person at a grocery store. That is not what this is about. This is what this is about. Will I sacrifice my taste, my time, my resources, my energy, my foolish sense of self-importance to embrace people who look different, who talk different, who act different, people who I would most likely want to shun or reject or avoid or judge? So the question is, who makes me uncomfortable?
1: Who makes me uncomfortable?
3: This is the kingdom. The kingdom is letting the people in, embracing people, loving people, serving people who make me uncomfortable, who I disagree with. Maybe I disagree with them on religious things or spiritual things. Maybe I disagree with them on politics. Maybe, maybe I disagree with them on, you can just keep going, just whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is. Maybe I disagree with them, and they make me uncomfortable. And Jesus says, that's the one. Let that one in. You see, that's what's going on in this passage that we just studied. Jesus is pushing the disciples, and the interesting thing is he knows it's going to take a long time. He knows he's got a a group of difficult bluebirds going on there, and he knows it's going to take a long time, and he knows one of them, Judas, is going to flunk the whole... he's He's not even going to make it. It's like, I'm going to waste three years on this guy. He does it anyway. He teaches them, let them in. Love them. Encourage them. This is the kingdom. This is who we are. This church, we're not a religious services provider. We're a part of a body. And the body was made to serve. And a lot of us are still in the Bluebird group. And that's okay. Because we have a great teacher. And we're still learning. We're still on our way. So as you leave this place, I encourage you be praying God, okay, God, who? What person? What type of person? What person that I would show me I'll serve? I'll love? I'll walk with them. I'll pray for them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, the master teacher. And he, he, he drags us along in this story. And we see how it jerks back and forth. And how emotions, uh, are, you, your emotions are stirred. And Lord, if we're honest, if we're honest, we see ourselves in the disciples. We can be that way so easily. And Father, help us, help us to become people who see others the way you see them. And every person you saw was an opportunity to grow the kingdom of God and to glorify your Father. Lord, we want that. You you bring, this is what you made us for. This is where the joy is. That's where purpose and meaning lies. Everything we want or need is in that, and yet we ignore it. Forgive us for ignoring, and Lord, help us to open our eyes to see maybe even this week, someone we can love and serve that we wouldn't normally even want to. And when we do it, Lord, help us to see that and be thankful and joyful that you are working in our lives. You are changing us from the inside out. It's the only change that matters. And we pray in the name of your Son. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning in person or online. We are, uh, we are thrilled at what God is doing, and we're thankful for how He's working in our lives and in yours. Have a great week. God bless you. And you are dismissed.